Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. My name is Aram, and my pronouns are he, him. I am the producer of the Dungeon and Dragons podcast, God's Fall. My name's Dylan. My pronouns are he, him, and I'm a physicist from Canada. Welcome to Kill Kill Every Every Monster. This week on Kill Every Monster, we are featuring the vampire. The Monster Manual describes vampires as creatures awakened to an endless night. Vampires hunger for the life they've lost and sate that hunger by drinking the blood of the living. Vampires abhor sunlight, for its touch burns them. They never cast shadows or reflections, and any vampire wishing to move unnoticed among the living keeps to the darkness and far from reflective surfaces. We are joined by Sharong Biswas. Sharong is a writer, artist, and game designer. He has won Indicade and IGDN awards for his games and has showcased interactive works at numerous art institutions, including the Institute of Contemporary Art in Philadelphia and the Museum of Moving Image in New York. He has contributed essays to Dicebreaker, Eurogamer, and Unwinnable, and fiction to Fantasy Magazine, Lightspeed Magazine, and Neon Hemlock Press, among others. He is the co-editor of Honey and Hot Wax, an anthology of erotic art games, and Strange Lusts, Strange Loves, an anthology of erotic interactive fiction. Find him on Twitter at Sharong Biswas, and some of his games at astrolingus.itch.io. Sharon, what is a vampire to you? So the idea of what is a vampire is this like very um, 18th, 19th century idea of vampire that comes basically from um, Carmilla and from Dracula, right? Like this is the idea of vampires. So it's like this, this creature that comes to, this like dead creature that comes to life and to sustain its undeath, it must drink blood. That's usually the like, the like distilled most basic things and then of course we have like well how is it like sexy vampire like twilight or is it like ugly vampire like the nosferatu from vampire the masquerade or from buffy or whatever and and in buffy of course they're both sexy and ugly at differing times right one of the most brilliant moves in history is what if we made them sexy so that we could have some scenes that are really really charged and then we also made them horrifying so we could do scary stuff i think that's really clever exactly it's a really good like they're both sexy and ugly right um and so like that is a vampire and then in i think modern fiction and and modern media leans more towards this like attractive suave vampire and less less of this like 
feral sort of vampire. Well, even just going to the masquerade, like one of their base elements is fire can set them off to where they just go pure feral. They enter. They have some German word they use for it. I can't remember. Roar, roar, shark. No, not roar. That's the ink lot, right? Something yeah. like that. Yeah. So it had an R in it. I guarantee you that much. And I think also we tend to think of it as an intelligent. We don't think, I don't think we think of vampires as we think of like zombies in, in this common, again, in this Western framework, right? more intelligent more predatory than the like just hunger like like if you say zombies are are hunger vampires are predator more than just hunger this is something i really like about the lord that D did where they specifically call out like no, no 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 they are a perversion of what you are and they are a negative desire they don't hunger they starve they need it's not a desire it's not i want you it's i will have you the vampire is a proactive villain it has a want and it will come for you This, uh, this poem by Austin Felder, right? Der Vampire, which is one of the, which is uh, a lot of scholars say this is the first instance of um, a vampire in modern creative literature, right? Because before that, people argue it tends to be in like folklore. My dear young maiden believeth unbending fast and firm in all the furnished teachings of her ever pious mother. As people along the Tissa believe staunchly and Hadock-like in vampires that bring death. Just wait now, dear Christian. You do not wish to love me. On you I take revenge. And in Tokay today will drink you into a vampire. And when softly you are sleeping, from your rosy cheeks will I the color suck. Then will you be startled when I kiss you thus and as a vampire kiss, when you then start to tremble and weakly, like one dying, sink down into my arms, then to you I pose my question, are not my teachings better than those of your good mother? This poem was commissioned by a German scientific journal because at this time, there was, like, a vampire hysteria going on in Europe. Like, um, the, the Habsburg Empress had to, like, send physicians to be like, guys, these are not real vampires, right? She had to, like, send a physician corps to, like, look at all these reports and be like, guys, because people were, like, opening up graves and checking bodies and stabbing them and beheading them, which, you know, for parts of the population was desecration of these bodies, right? Um, so, so there's all this scientific interest going on at this time. And so this journal was like, okay, we're going to look at like vampire reports and talk about them. But you can see that these, a lot of these ideas then filtered into our vampire fiction. I don't know if Bram Stoker read Austin Felter. I have no idea, right? But you can see the echoes of this, oh, well, this vampire doesn't like religion because Bram Stoker added this, like, fear of, like, the crucifix, right, into history, which wasn't as common in the, like, folklore, apart from the fact that it was always like, oh, yes, the faith will defeat evil, right? In Stoker's Vampires, you have the whole thing where it's someone coming from, like, 
Eastern slash Central Europe coming in and corrupting the land. It's not just that they come in and corrupt the people. I think it was Stoker that specifically added Dracula brought his earth with him. And that context of like being afraid of the cross stops being a fear of piety and it's the Anglican church. That cross now also holds a feature of the land to it. I am the land, right, is what Strahd says. And you're being rebuked by the land itself and the god of the land. The vampire in the monster manual uh, being um, a legendary creature, meaning it ha- and having lair actions, uh, one can argue that it's possibly the most, one of the most um, deserving of lair actions, right? Because of this mythology. when they bring in Strahd and when it's specifically Ravenloft and you're in Barovia, it gets taken that step further. The lair action or the lair effects kind of bleed away into just the properties of the entire country. Your God can't get to you. Something else is answering your prayers and it might still answer your prayers, but it's going to be a little fucked. And there are a handful of spells that just will not work anymore. It's a cobbled together creature from various myths, right? Which means all these properties, weaknesses, they don't have a like... It's not coherent. It's not like you're drawing it from properties of the creature itself. You're pulling from a thousand different right. disparate sources where we've just decided, no, those are all one thing. Right. Why, why is it allergic to garlic? Why does running water fuck it up? Why do you have to invite them inside? None of those relate to each other. There are all these weird, weirder ones I remember reading from when I was a kid about like, oh, if you throw poppy seeds at the vampire, you have to like count them, right? And which is funny because of we think of Sesame Street, right? It took me so long to make that connection. No, I just made that right now. One. Ah, 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 ah. I never made that connection. That that was a benefit that it was specifically, you can do this to slow it down and how does the count count? Agonizingly slowly, with a pause in between each number. A lot of these like physical descriptions of vampires come from biological processes, right? Like, like early vampires before the like sexy romantic vampire all had like bloated bellies, had like long claws and like blood coming out, and there are a lot of reports that talk about, oh, but like that happens to corpses fairly frequently, right? Where um, uh, microorganisms cause gaseous buildup, which causes um, bellies to bloat, which cause, which expels blood from the orifices. We all know about, you know, skin and stuff shriveling. That's why the nails look bigger, right? A vampire is a patchwork of different myths and stories sewn together through this unholy alchemy, or should we say necromancy, uh, and then plopped in front of us with a lick of, like, sexiness. Modern authors do their own thing, right? Like, twilight vampires, like, sparkle and can exist in sunlight. And also have their weird individualized superpowers, which was an interesting choice. They're vampires, but they're also the X-Men. Well, that that happens in in Vampire the Masquerade a lot as well. I remember a lot of people have described, they're like, oh, Vampire the Masquerade, you mean the game of goth superheroes? As you mentioned, the fact that vampires are this weird patchwork conglomerate of like curses and lore and myth and science, oddly enough. Is the vampire a monster? 
we go back to the early roots, we're like, yeah, vampire monster, right? They they feed on blood. But then we start seeing the like sexiness of vampires coming, right? Like Anne Rice has these vampires that are really sexy. It's your coffin, my love. Enjoy it. Most of us never get to know what it feels like. Why do you do this? I like to do it. I enjoy it. Take your rest seats, taste pure things. Kill them swiftly if you will, but do it, for do not doubt, you are a killer, Louis. Buffy starts having vampires that try and be good. <laughs> Is there a problem, ma'am? Yeah, there's a problem. Why are you following me? I know what you're thinking. Don't worry. Carol Senf in uh, The Vampire in 19th Century Rich Literature writes, Increasing emphasis on the positive aspects of the vampire's eroticism and on his or her right to rebel against the stultifying constraints of society. In lots of fiction, the vampire isn't a monster anymore. It's a cursed individual who must fight against their affliction. And because we see that in Dungeons and Dragons, in, in contemporary Dungeons and Dragons, okay, by contemporary, I mean third edition onward. In the Libris Mortis, which is a book all about undead, they were all like, oh, how can you play monstrous races? Oh, here's a prestige class to be a vampire. Here's a class that you can uh, multi-class in to become a vampire spawn, that kind of thing, right? Then fourth edition is like, no, 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 we're gonna have a full-fledged class Partially, I'm guessing, they're like, oh, people like playing Vampire the Masquerade. People like playing vampires. Let's give the players what we want, right? We had the same talk during the werewolf episode. They want to give it to their players, but they have to do it defensively because they know if they give them too much, they'll all just be like, fuck it, make everyone a vampire, and now it's an all-vampire party. <laughs> Which is just as a design note why I strongly approve of making the vampire a class. Because if you make it like, like the werewolf is a straight stat adjustment, not with the vampire. With the vampire, you have to stop being a fighter and you have to start being a vampire. Which means that like that power gaming aspect really gets shot in the foot. And just from, like I say, that design perspective, I think that's a very, very clever way to handle that. D&D is not a, like a lot of people like to use it this way, but D&D isn't really designed to be a generic game for any kind of, any kind of game you want to do, right? Um, which is not a criticism of D&D, it's just... It just doesn't do horror as well as other games, and therefore it's harder to do the vampire right. Vampires really become about like overcoming hunger and overcoming your nature and using your force of will to overcome that, right? D&D isn't really designed for that, which again is... Fine. We're not saying it should be designed for that. I don't want a generic system where which can do everything because ultimately it'll do nothing, right? If we want games like that, we want to play games like Undying. You want your good old monster hearts so that you can go around and deal with uncontrollable urges. If you look at uh, Urban Shadows, the vampire isn't as much about the hunger, though that's there because part of the mythology is more about the web of connections you make, right? And the like manipulation you do of people. If we're dealing with the vampire as it's written in 5A, it's an affliction. It's very difficult for me to, to turn and say, you are a monster because you contracted this. Like, that's really what we're doing there. I think there's a very important line that gets drawn up because the vampire lord, the guy who's in charge, is a monster. A new vampire isn't. 
But even then, like, I think there's almost a temporal element to it where, like, you can get vampirism, you can contract it, and you are a person who has contracted a curse. And then there's a certain point where after long enough, because of what you have to do to survive, it almost necessitates becoming the monster. No one is walking into Strahd and everyone's seeing like, oh, this is why he became like this. But no one is saying that it justified what he did. D&D, I think, did an interesting job in that as much as there are all of these various things to explore that they try to bring across when they bring in like the player vampire species or the vampire class, the vampire in the monster manual is... 1880, Count Dracula, well, not necessarily Count Dracula, little hotter. I think this might be the best agreement we've had so far in like a mythological monster stat block. Like it does all of the things that I want a vampire to do and there's nothing in the lore that it says that it does that it doesn't. It's very, very well put together in that respect. Our third question is usually, what would you change about a vampire in D&D? I'm not sure that I personally have any objections, which is the weirdest thing I've said since this podcast started. All the charm stuff, it has all the weaknesses, it has the terrifying bite stuff. If you can summon a swarm of wolves and a swarm, you should be able to, he should be able to turn into a wolf and turn into a bat and turn into what, a, a snake maybe? A rat. A rat, a wolf, and a bat. He should be able to turn into those at any given time. And also, like, he should turn into a swarm of rats or, like, a swarm of bats. I would make the argument that it should be an optional one. I think that's one of those things where your given vampire should be one of the above. Strahd has wolf and bat, but I think regular vampire just has bat, right? It's just regular bat. vampire just has bat. So I guess you have to level up. Or you become, yeah. like, a druid vampire. Because vampire <laughs> yeah. is clearly the commoner. And then there's like sword vampire and spell vampire. And then I guess Strahd vampire. There's which like is both different of flavors. And right, honestly, which is both of them. the vampire spawn is a really fun monster to throw at people. Because A, again, it's recognizable. B, it's not like 13th level or whatever. I've never, I don't think I've ever run a campaign till that high levels. It also, it's great to throw at underpowered parties in as in it's higher level than the party CR or whatever. Because there are other ways of dealing with it, right? Because you can use its weaknesses, you can find its lair and stake it and all that stuff. So it's really fun to make a terrifying monster that you can kill not by direct combat, but with other other things. And it has that tragic element like Doru, right? You can be like, oh, that used to be the nun. It's also a fantastic way of setting up the bigger bad. It's one of my favorite JRPG mechanics. You drop the vampire spawn at early levels, and then about halfway through the game, suddenly you have to fight 16 vampire spawn all at once because you've met the actual vampire and realized, like, oh, this was a joke. Now, I think the only thing I want to mention otherwise about the vampire stat blocks is just that, like, the image of like the very, very powerful, like really strong, really fast, like superhuman vampire. I think they did a fantastic job of that just with the legendary actions. Like the legendary actions on their face are nothing. It's a move, a hit, like an, an arm strike and a bite. So yeah, like Lich and stuff, I think has more unusual legendary actions. More unusual things, fascinating things. But when you put it in that context of like the vampire walks into a room, hits one person, his turn ends, is across the room all of a sudden 
tearing the throat out of a random commoner like that's terrifying and it's perfect it's exactly what i want to see out of a vampire so would would you change anything i can't think of anything i don't think i would i'm honestly happy with it which is again baffling for me i'm very liberal with adding non-combat weaknesses for monsters so if we want to add oh this vampire has to count poppy seeds or if you steal its left sock it'll keep chasing after it or one of those which is also just such a fantastic thing to put in a DD game because that's exactly the sort of like gonzo thing that'll happen mid campaign is like all right listen we can't take the vampire yet but if we break into strad's castle and steal all of his left socks we can buy <laughs> ourselves some time strad shows up angry because he's wearing two right socks because it was the only way he could get off the door out the door but because he's strad they're fancy socks because so they are strad, left and right socks they're actually left and right exactly so it's actually uncomfortable for him to wear two right socks like that's exactly what i want to do in the middle of a fucking year-long campaign <laughs> One of the great pieces of advice in Curse of Strahd about running horror campaigns and like a horror game that's all one note, that's one tone, will be tiring and boring. So moments of levity are great. Also, like if you're playing a character like Strahd, Strahd is beyond anything else bored. Absolutely. The same thing over and over. So if you do anything to amuse Strahd, whether it's anything to surprise him, whether it's anger, whether it's joy, whether it's just something completely dumb, I think he'd go with it because he yeah. would just be so desperate for something new, for something to entertain him. First time you run into him, they throw garlic at him. Maybe he does have a weakness to it in this fight. And then you come back to him and it's like, no, no, you were, I, it was, a, it was interesting. It was a fun move. I was glad you tried it. it I was... <laughs> bluffing <laughs> turns to like his lieutenant it was like they did the girl okay wait hang on yeah like, they have, yeah, people haven't done that up. to me in years whoa i haven't, done, more... I haven't done garlic in a hundred years yeah i'm more perplexed than hurt like what yeah. <laughs> i love that Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. My boyfriend used to be a barbarian before he got turned. If I'm the, like, elegant kind of vampire, he's the, like, leather boy vampire, right? I was driven out of my land or whatever. So I traveled and I found this 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 hot muscly, muscly guy vampire and this like gym bunny vampire. So you met as vampires. We met as vampires. He was a CrossFit vampire. <laughs> and he travels more than I do. I like staying in my cushy like castle. 
he he's a he was a barbarian to begin with, right? So he will go on like excursions. And we've been together fifty years, so it's like sure, yeah, go on excursions, bring me a trophy, bring me a present back, and the present's usually another sexy man that we can eat <laughs> together. Um, no, my ex-husband used to bring me food presents whenever he traveled. Um, so yeah, this this guy brings me food presents when he travels. Then this was a bit of a change of pace. You had to be out of out of the manor for a little bit. Just small things, you know. Yeah, I stay within the l- l- lair. So I stay within the village or whatever. He travels sometimes. He just he goes out adventuring. So this was one of the few times where your partner was left just to his own devices back home while you were out just dealing with the administrative day-to-day. I want you to tell me where you found his body. Oh, he doesn't turn to dust. What's more interesting to you? Is it like the, the full dust pile, the handful of bones left over, the, the aged in an instant, so you get like body left, but it's the desiccated corpse? I'm going to say it's he wears like black leather, right? So I'm going to say his like leather is in a pile of ash. Oh, is it that moment where you, like, walk in and there's the pile of clothes not too far from the bedroom door and there's, like, a moment where you pick them up excitedly? It's like, oh, we're doing... And then the ash pours out of the boot. And so I open the door and I see on the bed, first I see the leather and I'm like, oh, is he, like, playing shot koi or whatever? And then the smell of burn, of the burning ash, whatever, hits me. I'm shocked and horrified and and scared for the first time in a long time and I put my hands in the ash and I lift it up and the ash is like falling and I like flash back to all these times we had together and there was this one time this one moment after we got together that we're like maybe maybe we can not be vamp. Maybe we can be ethical vampires, right? Maybe we don't have to kill people. But then that can never happen because of the curse, right? And so we gave that up. We were sad about it for a little bit. We gave that up. And now I'm remembering that again. I'm like, we, we had dreams. I remember us staying up right till the edge of dawn. Maybe one day, if we're good, we can we can be worthy of being human again, and you know maybe the curse will lift if we're good. But then you know desperation, we're monsters, we're hungry. But I remember that moment of like the dawn, the horizon is becoming you know rosy fingered dawn, right? The horizon is becoming reddish. And we're last maybe like maybe one day we can be human again and then we flee right before it hits dawn. It hits you as you hold that ash up and as it falls down and you can see just on the horizon, it's dark. It's still night. It's just night though, and you can see that sliver of white just along the tree line, just like it was that night. Aram, I want you to tell me how it happened. The local church had a lot of information on these vampires, and the gold I paid them was well spent. And they gave me the information I needed to take him completely by surprise. Despite that, it was a very difficult fight. 
I had to use up a lot of my magical items in order to not die. Barely took him out. But I took him. And I've returned to this church to heal from my wounds and to replenish my items. The church you came back to, it's embedded in the side of the mountains. There are a whole bunch of springs here that were regarded to be holy because they had like just a low enough mineral content that you could drink them, but there was just enough heat to them that during the winter they wouldn't freeze. So there was always some water. It was considered a gift. And now you're in here and you can see the rivulets of moisture from where it's just a little bit leaking through running down the walls as the priests are going over in the minor wounds that don't need attention per se they're going over with bandages in the larger cuts the bruises the places that require you know hospitalization they're going over with the quick healing magic you feel like not even come morning it's at the break of dawn you feel like by like eight or nine you'll be good you might be out of here before the town's even awake the priests are grateful they didn't call you in but there was rumors that you might be coming and it was a godsend shrung how do you arrive? So I, after I found the body, I like managed to keep my clothes. I took one fistful of ashes and put it in a necklace that I'm now wearing. Um, then the rage hit me and I shrieked and like uh, all the like rats and bats and wolves in the air, because you know, my regional effect is there's a lot of rats and things. I consulted with them like who dared come into this castle and you hear the voices just a thousand whispers the the high-pitched kind of almost nauseating noise of the bats just shrieking the the little chittering from all of the rats and it's the wolf it's the wolf who saw another hunter it moved too confidently it came in it went back to town and I stopped watching because we don't go to town. And it just lands a little too hard. The thought that comes through, the wording the wolf uses, is... You can't have a predator in town and be safe. I shriek angrily, and I claw out the wolf's left eye. How did you let this happen? And I throw the eye into the... No, I can't have a moat. It's a still moat. It's not a running moat. Yeah, um, yeah. I throw it into the moat, uh, and I whip around, and as I spin, I, like, turn into a mist tornado that into the air and, like, streaks uh, across. The bats are just swirling around you as guides. Uh, in the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, how, like, Nina Harker... <laughs> When she, like, of all the things out. I expected to get referenced in this episode. It's the weirdest combination between absolutely terrible and fucking brilliant. There's just some cool shit in that movie. There's some great visuals in that movie. In the air is like the swirling mist with infra splashes of my body as it reforms, unforms, but this like swirl of bats like following me. 
There are very few buildings where you could imagine someone hiding out because the peasantry were treated well enough, but more than anything, they knew what you were, and they knew not to harbor resentment toward you, let alone full-out betrayal like this. And of course, you can see, just flickering, just from the inside, too early for anyone to be awake, is the church. There's a bit of a cave leading into it before you hit sort of a proper entrance. And just around the edges of the doorway, seen through your eyes, the eyes of the bat, and just that vague sense of light when you no longer have eyes and you're missed again, you see that flicker. That flicker is an insult. That flicker is that condemnation of everything you ever did for this place. I have done so much for this place and asked for so little in return. Don't kill my boyfriend. Yeah. That was rule number one. It's not a big request. <laughs> so one thing I want to say is that the ch- it's a church, or it's a temple. Um, yeah. There, carved on the entrance are the words, all who seek may enter, right? Um, yes. So like, of course I can go into this dumb church. Of course I can go into this temple, It doesn't right? specify what you have to be seeking. The entrails of a thousand priests, you know, it's still a valid thing to seek. Is there a tower? I'm imagining, is there a tower with like a fancy, like, um, stained glass rose? Like one of those really elaborate roads? I want to break through it if there is one. It's on either side of the door. They are grand scenes of like the kindnesses of their gods. It's going to be Lathander. It's got to be Lathander. Because sun and vampires. The valley remains frozen much of the year this far north. And it also stays dark for many months this far north. So the light of the sun, the light of Lathander, is very important to these people. This church was carved into the very mountain, right at the spot where the first sun of the harvest rises. And these windows were positioned to funnel that light into the church and light it up like the dawn. I'm gonna tornado swirl, smash through the window, and I reform and all these bats that are following me are like swirling around me. I'm gonna say there were, um, flower floral offerings on the altar but as i enter it like (laughs) withers it's not even just that it all shrivels the flowers die the fruit rots and there's one plant there's a rose that was set to grow up along the altar and every petal turns brown and shrivels as the thorns grow longer and the vines curl around the altar and squeeze. <laughs> you can hear the wood creak and groan as the thorns just dig into it. Who's in the room besides him? This is a sing- single room operation. Like there's a little like back closet where they keep some supplies, but this church is a place of worship only. The priest doesn't live here. So this was a place where those who know you had arrived were here 
waiting to know, like, are we going to live or die? And when you came back, there's this little element of celebration, and that is fucking over. As one priest tends to you in the back, and another four immediately look over, and terror. So, first off, can I say that I used my children of the night once per day power because I have all these bats around me? Absolutely. So there's, like, a couple clerics between the vampire and me, and then me and this last priest in the back who's healing me. There are two priests nearby. One of them is one of those, uh, the older type, who didn't quite move up in the old organization. Uh, He's wearing, like, orange robes. Uh, He is a man of import, enough to be given color, but still is, like, just tending to things. As much as everyone else is excited and in the celebratory mood, he is the type who is sitting there going, like, yes, but they'll be here in the morning, and the service has to proceed. The candles aren't going to place themselves. We still have to put out the 1,300 candles. Don't know why, but it's part of what we do. On the other side of the doorway was a boy, maybe 16, just old enough to be, just old enough that you could blame him for his choices. You know him. You were there and congratulated him when he was given the robe he's wearing today. Oh, and I'm going to say that was um, recent, right? Because he's 16. So that meant I was already evil. I had, I mean, I was always evil, but I had already given up on the fact that I can be a good person. Like, that long gone. So I'm going to stride up to the old priest. I'm going to punch his chest and rip out his heart. And I'm going to open his jaw and stuff it in. And I'm going to hold up his body and I'm going to brandish it at the kid. And I'm going to be like, tell me who did it or I will do worse than this to you. When the old priest saw you coming, like the kid was already like freaking out. The old priest like had a like had a broom. Everyone else is celebrating. The old priest is actually sweeping up and he just stops and he sees you. And he just nods. He knows. He knows there's nothing he can do. He's too informed. He's well aware of what you're capable of. It's the only genre-savvy man in town. <laughs> and just, like, it just accepts it. Bolape ilo. So when he dies, it, it brings me, honestly, it brings me no satisfaction at all. Um, which is, I, which makes me angrier, right? I'm like, why isn't he scared of me? So I turn to the boy, I brandish his like dangling, limp body of the priest, gruesome hole in his chest, and I'm like, tell me, who did it? What's his name? The boy? Jeff. Jeff. It's not Jeff. Come on. What do you I'm want wrong. it to be, Dylan? Jeff. <laughs> Jeff. Jeff. Okay, Jeff. apparently it's Jeff. I've been outvoted. It's. <laughs> I like Joff. I actually like Joff. Let's do Joff. Joff. It could be like yeah. Joffrey, right? Yeah. Um, Joff the acolyte. Joff, darling boy, tell me who did this. And I toss aside the old man's blood. You don't even need to roll an intimidation. Like, it would have had advantage immediately, but even <laughs> then, like just starts rattling off like he came to town recently he was like he he wandered around he came into the the priests uh i didn't i i wasn't given any choices in the matter like the priests uh, endorsed this i had nothing to do with it just begging like that pathetic thing they do where they deflect and they blame turn away from josh he is useless now like i'm gonna pickle him in marmalade later 
um, and I'm going to stride over to where he was pointing to the whatever group was there. In between me and this vampire is one last other cleric who's like a bit of a badass, relatively. Pulls out the sword, goes to engage while I turn to this priest who's been healing me and hand him what looks like just like a little clump of dirt. And I say, bless this. Just focus on me, look at me, bless this. Shurang, do you want to make an arcana check? Sure, yeah, yeah. Okay, oh, uh, that was really, I'm blinded by rage. I rolled a five plus, where's my intelligence? Into modifiers three, oh, yeah, plus I'm blinded four. by rage. You don't care about my elven tricks. No. Like simple little magics. You don't care about any of this. I'm, I'm just too angry. Like, bless this. You've walked into consecrated ground with its permission. Yeah, like, what, this stupid temple? What blessing? They, 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 they're like, oh, we have this holy spring water. The first time they tried to sprinkle it on me, the guy who sprinkled it on me is now one of my spawns, right? So, like... He waters my plants now. <laughs> they don't understand. The blessing here is that you let them stay. They don't give out blessings. You do. Shrunk. It's your turn. If the guy has a sword, he's coming at me, so I'm going to charm him. Uh, He has to make a DC 17 wisdom saving throw. It's a nine on the die. It does not matter what his wisdom is. Um, And he is not under my control, but takes my actions and requests in the most favorable way it can, and is a willing target for my bite attack, whatever. Um, so if I need to heal, I can be like, bite you. Oh, it's like a potion. Yeah, yeah. He's, a, he's a living potion. That one. They killed Asad. You know what to do. Aram, there is an acolyte sprinting back towards you, not even brandishing the sword like... I'm going to say not brandishing it like a weapon. I mean as in, there is no form to it. He's brandishing it like a child with a stick. Do I know vampires well enough as a hunter to know that I could... Do I think I can interrupt this if I was to hurt the vampire? Like, actually, you know what? Give me give me the Arcana check for it. I rolled. It's not bad. I rolled an 18 plus 1 is 19. This is an effect where as long as that stays, the vampire doesn't have to concentrate on it. It's just the vampire cannot murder this man or make him murder himself without it starting to fracture a little bit. If you attack the vampire directly, if you kill the vampire, then that'll definitely snap. But on shy of some sort of magic to break the curse or to interfere with the magical link, you can't just attack this away. The priest in front of you, she takes this like little wad, hands together, and just starts to pray. <laughs> Can I take a legendary action at the end of the priest's turn? Absolutely. Um, I am going to, uh, again, I want them all to kill each other. So I'm going to move. I'm going to, um, you know what, just for uh, for um, visual effect, I'm going to be buoyed by the bats um, <laughs> towards this priest. Oh, yeah, this is the one step, and then that, like, it should only go a foot, but the momentum just carries you a glide. She starts to pray, and you're like, good, this is going to work. And then a shadow falls over you. Yeah. And now it's your turn. All right, so I would pull. 
So I've got these bracers on and my hands go to them and two daggers slide out from my bracers, two magical daggers. Like punching dagger kind of thing? Throwing slash punching, like where you're right, yeah, yeah. So th- she's still praying over the bead. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna curse because I did not want to fight another vampire tonight. I had just gotten healed. The shadow is falling. Like they are not necessarily immediately in melee range, but it is like stand up and take a step. If the one thing I know is that if you're gonna fight a vampire, you have to take him down hard and fast. So dual wield, I'm gonna attack twice and then I'm going to also um bonus action. No, 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 no. What is my fighter thing? Action surge. Action surge. So I'm gonna attack, attack, and then attack. Oh attack, 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 because you get to take the attack ex- action a second time, which still gets the extra attack on. So you'll get four swings in total, plus a bonus attack from your dual wield. So five total. I am seventh level monk, sixth level fighter. That is my, I am basically like the backstory with my character is that vampires killed my rich parents and I'm so rich that I trained and bought a lot of magic items and then went, I'm Batman. Can it be the vampire who turned me killed your rich parents? 100% 100% oh, it can be. 100%. <laughs> and I've just been tracing that line all the way back. You're like, ever I will since. obliterate the entire line of that vampire. Yeah. I am just going in with these daggers as hard as I can. You got five swings if you want to use the bonus action as well. My first stab is 15 plus 10. Second stab is 16 plus 10. Hit. Third stab is 17 plus 10. Fourth stab is four plus 10, 14. Nope. And my fifth stab is 12 plus 10 is 22. These daggers are my Kensai weapons, so they are coming in at D8. Eight plus four is 12. Second dagger, four plus four is eight, that's 20. Third dagger, eight plus four is 12, 32. Fourth dagger, two plus four is six, 38. I'm faster than most humans are. I got a 45 movement, right? So just like, I just kind of zip in on my knees and just kind of dance around you. I try to stay in close so you can't get big blows, but I also have to move fast so you can't grab me. So it's just like this very kind of dash in, stab, dash out, and try and like hit you in your extremities, like shoulders and knees and just kind of peck away at you. So I snarl and I'm going to take another legendary action because it's the end of your turn. I'm going to, um, if it's a free action, it's okay. I'm going to command the bats to swarm you. And I'm going to use both my legendary actions to do a bite that costs two legendary actions. And I'm going to grab the praying nun, um, the mother superior, and I'm going to pull her up and bite. She is completely out of it, so I'm going to give you uh, advantage on an attack roll to do this. Great. So it's a melee weapon attack plus nine to hit. My highest is um, 11 plus nine, nine uh, 20. You just grab her back of the collar and drag her to her feet. Yeah, I'm like, bats, deal with him. I'll deal with his gumba first. <laughs> Get him, bats. 10 piercing damage. Um, and then 3d6 necrotic. So... 12 necrotic damage. 22 total? 22 total. Ouch. And I heal by 22 points. 
She's gotta be dead, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, if she dies, she will return. When she comes back to life, she will be a spawn under my control. And you drag her life out the hole you leave in her neck. Where's the pellet? Does she drop it? She drops it. I need to catch it. Reflect or uh, dexterity save. Dex save. I got a plus nine. That's a 16. So 25. Do I notice this thing he grabs? Like you saw it when he passed it over the first time. And when it falls, you see that his eyes don't track the priest. They were on that rock the whole time. And his hand shoots out just lightning fast. Okay, so first I use my regeneration, so I heal, heal 20 points. Uh, I snarl, but I'm now I'm wary. I'm going to try and charm, I'm going to grasp again and try and grasp at this guy's mind. 17 wisdom save. You have advantage on enchantment effects. My first roll is going to be 6 plus 3 is 9. Fortunately, the second roll is 15 plus three is eight. So I got that, like, oh, not with this elven steel trap. What do you feel? I felt this once before. Yeah. And it is the most terrifying thing as a hunter, as a person, to feel someone just push in. Like, it feels like they just push in through the front of your head and just pry it open and waltz right inside. And then they're just in you. They're there. You can hear them. You can feel them. You can almost taste them. It is such an intrusion. You can feel the pain I felt for an instant of when I saw Asad dead. In that moment that we're connected, even though I'm able to push you back, you see the moment I killed him, I see the moment you found him. And there's that shared experience just for that split second. You could see the starts of dawn coming in, and it's just black as you are coated in bats. Just yeah. so many fucking bats. So Swarm of Bats, their attack is a plus four. I have currently an AC of 20. So, three of them are going to hit. You are going to take 10, 15, 21, 23, 26 points of piercing damage. Is there a modifier on this? No. So, 26 points of piercing damage. And then, directly into your shoulder, right in that little spot between the bones, you feel the point of a sword dive through and out your shoulder as the shitty brainwashed priest scores a critical hit. Son of a bitch. And basically the thing stabs in and it looks in and just, how could you do that to <laughs> I just roll my eyes. So Shirang, strictly speaking, nine turns have just happened. So you can use any and all of your legendary actions as you see fit in this moment. Oh, great. So I'm going to scream incoherently and then I'm going to I'm going to use my move again but just for visuals this time I move as mist like the back of me becomes like I'm standing facing but the back will become mist and pulls that way um, and I'm gonna now I'm like I, this guy also hurt me like yeah I healed but that was insulting um, so I want to go up to the teen again so I'm gonna bite him I'm gonna spend burn all my legendary actions I'm gonna bite him 
Okay, yeah. Then give me the attack roll for that. Was he scared and oh, horrified? Yeah, same sort of thing. We were, you're, He's scared. If there's anything we've learned about this awful goddamn monster, it's that you only attack people who are already on their knees. Um, I got a 16, 16 plus 9, so a lot. 25? That's going to do it. So that's 4 plus 4 is 8 piercing damage. That's 3, 3, 4. That's 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. That's a dead man. Great. And so I regain one hit point <laughs> because I only had one damage. <laughs> I want this stupid monk person because he's wearing robe. I, I wear any monkey accoutrement. I look like fantasy elven Batman. Great. So I can tell he's kind of monkey. So I'm like, I want this yeah. monk person because monk types don't like being mean. So I'm like, I want this monk person to have to kill this 16-year-old kid. The air leaves. And he just goes slack in your arms. And I fling it forward as hard as I can. You are strong. You are a powerful person. Like, just... But he's like 170 pounds. But you're still throwing an adult... Like, you're strong, but you're people strong. And really, all you get is over one or two, like, sets of pews, and you hear that spine snap across the back of a bench as a limp form just bends and then rolls onto the ground. <laughs> okay, that was my legend reaction. It is your turn, Aram. You are covered in bats, and there's an asshole in front of you holding a sword in you. I'm going to uncork my potion of fire breathing down it and then just like I'm doing a fireball with whiskey just take the bats out and get them off me. 19 points of damage that's close enough to have just incinerated the bats wholesale they did their job. This guy reels back screaming. I would just stand up and just without even hesitation, without even thought, as far as I'm concerned, this creature is a monster, no longer a human. He's, he's not undead though. He doesn't look undead. He's charmed. Doesn't matter to me. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it should matter. It should matter to me but it doesn't matter yep. to me. And I just stand up and just take his throat. It's a 12 plus 10 is 22. 22 is going to hit. Another nine points of damage as I just drive it up underneath his skull, right in through the chin. And it's more than enough. It's like he was reeling and you watched the just the blankness come back into his eyes. He comes to as you drive the dagger in his face and he tries to say your name but the r requires like too much tongue and that blade is fully in his mouth and he just drops i've got daggers that i'm just like staring you down like this is the main event now okay let's see melee weapon attack plus nine to hit um oh i can grapple you instead his attack is he can roll to hit and if he hits, choose to grapple you instead of dealing damage. That's the vampire's specific attack. I like that. Because I can't bite you unless you're willing, grappled, incapacitated, restrained. I can't just rush and bite you. 
So, uh, yeah, so I'm gonna first I'm gonna slap you like across the face like the little child that you are. <laughs> I rolled a natural 20. I rolled 2d8 plus four then. So that's an eight plus four. Um, that's my dice roll is 12 plus the four uh, in the attack. That's 16 bludgeoning. Slam him back into the wall and you feel the water run over your fingertips. I'm gonna spend a superiority dice and parry. As a reaction, you would roll one of your super superiority dice and then that plus the modifier gets taken off the damage you took. Yeah, there's this huge fountain behind the altar. And as you just like pick me up and slam me through the water and into the marble, I'm able to roll with it a bit, just enough so I don't shatter my shoulder. It's a one die eight plus your, your whatever your combat modifier that you use is. So it's actually one die eight plus five. 12 back. That is very helpful. Nice. That's like nearly most of the damage I did to you, right? I think. My shoulder's not broken, but I'm very bleedy. On your turn, you can use your action to try to escape, and it has a set escape DC of 18. Scream for me, little child, scream. So my guy flashes back to when, you know, they had just left the opera. <laughs> <laughs> and the vampire descended on his parents in the alley. The pearls fall to the ground. He just lets out like a primal scream because he is furious. There is pain, there's deep pain and you represent all of it. And instead of fighting against it, he leans in. He leans in so he can be a little bit closer. And as your nails dig into his forehead and blood runs down his face, he takes this little lump of dirt. Oh. This small clump of dirt is the end result of the magic item, Dust of Dryness. When Dust of Dryness is sprinkled over a body of water, it takes a 15 by 15 by 15 foot cube and compresses it down to this tiny little pellet. When crushed, this pellet instantly releases all of that water at a single point which is over 25,000 gallons of water, which was just recently blessed. So that's 25,000 gallons of holy water. What I'm gonna have you both do is strength saves for uh, slightly different reasons. This water is such a fucking fantastic mass that a rum it is going to slam you back into that wall at fucking force it's basically like three feet to a meter which means this is a five meter by five meter by five meter cube is 125 cubic meters and water is a ton per cubic meter so you are dealing with about a hundred tons of water Aram, you're going to make a strength save to just not be slammed back into the wall. We're going to call this the same as like a 20-foot fall, 2d6, uh, bludging otherwise. Sharong, you can make the same save. Uh, we're going to call it a dc16, but you have nothing to be stopped. You're going to be slid back, basically, across the room. 
you are also going to take 20 points of acid damage regardless of how this goes because running water you will not heal because it is holy water I just wasted a natural 20 on this saving throw. So I made the save. I braced myself because I knew what was coming. Woo! Strength modifier plus four and 12 on the die. <laughs> Aram, you, you move fast. Anamil just grabs the arm immediately after it. Like one hand grabs the arm to brace and the other hand slams into the chest. And that's the only thing that keeps you from flinging backwards at force. Sharon, you take one foot, and the moment he comes like that, you slam your heel back into the ground, you feel the stone rupture, and that anchor point just holds you steady as you lean forward and push back harder. Water, like, cascades over me, and um, this time my scream is not of um, rage. This time my scream is of pain. Because it has been a long, long... Because I'm very careful to not go near running water, right? So this has been a long time, and I've not felt running water in a while. Like, when you slash me with a sword, yeah, whatever, I'm going to heal it. You are gargling holy water right now. The pain is excruciating. Yeah, and I'm, like, shrieking, this burning, and I'm so angry, but that I'm going to say that pain and rage feeds together, and I managed to, like, with my heel, like, stand. I'm like, oh, I will kill you, you now you're shirtless and wet. We're getting some fully revealed peck. Yes! Yes! This is what would have happened had he not died. We would have been doing this exact same thing, just different Absolutely. circumstances. Yeah. Same yeah. amount of blood would have happened <laughs> that way, too. Pretty much the same. Um, I'm going to use a legendary action right after that um, attack of yours. I'm going to try and bite you. Water gushes me, and I'm like... <gasps> and you know what? It burns away my lip so that the fangs are like even more revealed. It gives you like that bat nose thing. It kind of like acids away your nose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very yes. bat-like and feral right now. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Love that. Um, oh. So that's because he's grappled. That's like something special, right? With my attack roll. Grappled, uh, speed is zero. Can't benefit from bonuses to speed. It, it, does, it actually just reduces his speed to zero. Oh, I don't have any bonus for attacking? No, it doesn't oh. actually provide any bonus. So I'm going to bite. That's a 19 plus 9. That's 100% going to hit, yeah. And then damage. So the first piercing damage is 1d6 plus 4. That's 8 piercing damage. 3d6 necrotic. So that's 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. It's my bite, so I can actually heal from this. So this is like, you've gone from your face just melting away. You were a meaty jaw. And when you come back, it's bright red, it is burnt, and it is coated in blood. But your face is just rage. And then there's a snapping noise. Wait, I would have wiped him out with the holy water. Uh, okay, yeah. So the way I was running this was just like, 50-50 chance per round that their regeneration was going to activate. So I was just going to have them come in with 20 points, but you are completely right. Yeah, when holy water rushes over them, it wouldn't wipe them out, but it would stop them from regenerating this turn. At least that. At least that. I bought myself some time. Yeah. Okay, so my first attack of my turn is D20. It's Oh, it's a two. Ooh. Ooh. I try and headbutt you, but like, it isn't hard enough, I guess. 
Because you're stabbing me and distracting me. I'm so fast. Oh, right, you're a monk. You're like, I was able to move and you just hit the stone, but you crack it. I want to like try and pull him up to the top of the like fountain thing. So that if he tries to break free, he might, he might fall. With one hand just leaping up and just holding him over there, just showing him this church was intact when you arrived. Do you see what you did? I'm like, this is what you have wrought. You're kind of banking on like me being held over this height to have shown a little fear in me, right? Yeah, and hopefully if you break out of the grapple, hopefully you'll fall. I don't know. Which I probably would, but unfortunately I'm a monk. Yeah. So when you show that to me, when you show me this room full of people I don't care about, when you show me a height I'm not worried yes. about, the knives just come out and I'm gonna spend all of my key points I can and just stab <laughs> you as many times as I possibly can. So you can currently make a total of four attacks. So you can make two attacks with your standard multi-attack and then spend a key point for flurry of blows. First dagger is a 12 plus 10 is 22. Yeah, absolutely. My AC is, my AC is actually very low at 16. All right, second dagger is 10 plus 10 is 20. Third dagger. 14 plus 10 is 24. And my fourth dagger is a natural 20. Oh! Three hits and then a critical hit. Yeah, so you're gonna roll five D4. Five die six, because it's my Kensite weapon. So five die six plus 24. All right, so that's going to be two, three, four, five. The five die six is going to be 21 plus 24. So 45. 45 points of damage. You stabbed me and I like pull you in with the last critical hit stab. That's why it's a critical hit. Cause you like drive it through me, but I'm like, ah! I snarl spitting the blood that he just like stabbed me, right? And I'm like, where is your god now? Automil coughs up blood, spits at a tooth, looks you right in the eye. Fuck you, fuck them, and fuck the gods. <laughs> and now, Shrung, it is your turn. Uh, no, before that, I got to make a legendary action. Yes, um, yes, you do. <laughs> so I'm going to try and turn him upside down and slam his head against the marble. We're treating this as an unarmed attack. Okay, 13, so this one finally hit. 22 total. It is a 1d6 plus 4... 7 plus 4, so that's 11 damage. I'm out. I had 9 points left, that's it. You just kick my legs out, slam my face into the ground, and the last thing I see is, like, my eyes go as water is just pouring over my face, and I can't quite see, and... I just like get like like it goes from clear water to my own blood from this cracked head wound I just got. I'm gonna bite him and and not turn, haha, transform him, and then as the sun is coming, I'm going to take. Um, I'm gonna say uh, there is like the priest's vestments are made of like have all this gold cord. Uh, the vampire, the three vampire spawns. 
Uh, before the sun rises fully, I lash them to the altar, all three vampire spawns, uh, because I know the angle of the sun, it'll hit the altar. That's like the sun god, right? And I, as I, I do that, and I turn and I sit down in the path of the sunlight, that's gonna, that's gonna hit, like after it hits them, it's gonna hit me right after the sun hits them, um, because I want to watch them burn. Um, but you um, also want to sit out in the sun like you never could with your lost lover. Yep, because the last thing, like, not the last thing, but we said we would one day see the sunrise together, and it's never... We At one point we gave up on the dream, but now there is no possibility of that ever happening. So as the sun comes up, the windows were designed in such a way to, like, focus the light in, but you smashed through one of them. So in one window, it's just diffusely scattering in so you feel first like that tiny little sunburn the tingle and then it starts to burn it starts to hurt but there's still a focused ray that just pans across the altar and as the pain begins to come in as you begin to really feel it you get that little tug that smirk as you watch first the boy then the priest then just as he starts to come to the hunter start to burn pinned against those rosebush thorns tied to the grand book of the morning lord they burn and the temple is left empty of everything but a single vampire and ash and you sit for a good hour before the sun is finally bright enough to fully light the room. The last word I say, I just say Assad's name um, before I am consumed. As your lips turn to ash, the yes. last thing to leave them is his name. Assad. The stars light up my life. want to suggest creatures for future episodes or talk about the monsters we've discussed on the show, head on over to our Discord. You can find links on killeverymonster.com. And we'll see you next time for Kill, Kill Every, Every Monster. Monster. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine. 
coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. The ancient mountainous deserts to the south of Faerun are the places where mortals first raised great temples and unlocked powerful secrets. A kingdom once fractured by infighting has been united under the iron claw of the red dragon, Chazar. The great lizard's quest for immortality has become an all-consuming obsession. His need for worshippers has set him on a path against the old gods of these lands, and they will not go quietly. An unlikely cabal of deities has banded together to undermine Jazar and ensure that their temples remain protected and active. They've traced tendrils of fate to preferred timelines, then selected five mortals who had the best chance of bringing those futures to fruition. You will take on the role of one of these chosen in Death to the Dragon King. Find out more about this Start Playing Games campaign and all of my other available games at aram.gay.